You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Run, boy, run. This world is not meant for you. Run, boy, run. They're trying to catch you. Welcome to episode 104 of the Weekly Group Podcast. My name is Austin Staten, and I'm joined in studio by my co-host, Jeremy Paxton. And uh, Jeremy, it's Sunday. We are just, what, four weeks away from college football season, NFL returning. And we've got a great interview today with uh, David Spoke from ESPN Central Texas. And uh, Jeremy, how's it going, man? It's great. I've actually, um, I'm doing really well because I've got Hunter's article in the Houston Chronicle here in my hands. It's a, it's a fantastic article talking about uh, the problems with kind of like chronic homelessness and how to address it. And it's, it's just a well-written piece about that very complex issue that affects Houston. Yeah. And I, gosh, he sent us the link probably Friday. And I know this is something that Hunter has been working on for weeks, months, and it's something that he's teased on the show before. And uh, just reading it, I mean, I, it, was, it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal work. It, it, it profiled the woman that lives in a 10 by minute made park. And I, I shared the story with a few different people. And uh, the immediate response was, I've always wondered about her. And I, I thought that was fascinating that I could just point them to Hunter's article. So if, if you have the Houston Chronicle, make sure that you go and pick it up because it's the uh, the front page for the Zest. It should be A1, in, in my opinion. But uh, hell of an article. Uh, you can also check it out on Hunter's Twitter feed, at uh, HunterAtkins35. But, uh, I mean... Did you have any other thoughts on that, Jeremy? Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I've had the opportunity to work with, uh, you know, people who we would describe as chronically homeless before, and Hunter kind of gives the the different perspectives that, you know, would lead one to, you know, basically uh, conclude that it's not as easy as giving these people resources. It's not as easy as giving them housing or money or anything like that. A lot of times, people who are chronically homeless want to live that way for whatever reason, and a lot of times it's because they're struggling with a chronic mental illness that um, has been resistant into treatment. So um, very, very well written article. I mean, I think that really when you're, you know, trying to help people in that situation, it's got to be, you know, um, you've got to, it's got to be a collaborative approach, you know, kind of working with what they're willing to do. But at the end of the day, like some people, some people can't be helped. And that's, that's something that's sometimes hard to like recognize, but it was really, a really an amazing story reading about this particular lady because of her journey, right? She wasn't like somebody who yeah. grew up in Houston or even in the U.S. Nigeria. Yeah. yeah, she grew up in Nigeria, and she came, made her way over here with all of these fantastic dreams, and now she's you know, living in this tent outside of a ballpark and seems to kind of be attached to this idea that something great is going to happen to her. And I kind of wonder, you know, if, if in a way that that kind of represents the way that some, some people's lives have gone but aren't necessarily like hers. You know, there's like a lot that you can draw out of her experience about the way that people, you know, travel places and try to make it big, but it doesn't quite work out for them. Um, but they keep chasing their dreams. And it's just, it's, it's a really inspiring story about kind of how she's, you know, kept going, yeah. even though we yeah. would say, well, what are you doing, right? And, and and to me, it's a little, it's it's crazy because, you know, we were lucky where we were born and the situation that we were in, right? I mean, relatively healthy, right? You know, in in a good situation, being born in Houston to nice families, we won the lottery. Uh, this story profiles somebody that didn't, who probably has bipolar. Um, not taking her medications, as, as Hunter wrote in the article. Right. Um, it, it, it's very sad, but it, it's very telling about you know the other side of uh, what happens here in the city of Houston. So if you haven't checked it out, um, be sure to check out uh, the article. Uh, Hunter did a phenomenal job uh, with the story. Um, 
yeah, just check it out. And I mean, I, I don't want to get to, you know, anything. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like it's a serious topic um, that we could probably discuss an entire um, <clears throat> episode on. But uh, yeah, just just definitely check out Hunter's work. And also want to remind uh, our listeners that uh, if they want to read other great literature, uh, you know, they can go to uh, Audible. And, uh, you know, Jeremy, this episode of The Weekly Brew is sponsored by Audible Books. And uh, our listeners can get a free trial, a free audiobook download, just by going to audibletrial.com slash weeklybrewcast. And there's like, what, 180,000 titles to choose from? I mean, is that not a great deal? That's a fantastic deal. I can have a library in my pocket, literally. <laughs> and uh, it, it's, not, it's not just something for your grandmother anymore. Everyone listens to books. It's the way to keep up with what's going on, the latest titles, whatever. Um, definitely want to give it a try if you haven't already. Again, that's audibletrial.com backslash weeklybrewcast. Yeah, definitely check that out. You can get some great works of literature there, if you will. Uh, but, uh, Jeremy, one other subject that we kind of want to talk with talk about, I guess, is college football. And of course, we're going to have David Smoke from ESPN Central Texas here on the podcast in just a few moments, uh, essentially talking about Baylor, which we haven't spoken about in a while. Uh, he's also going to talk a little bit about uh, Dallas Cowboys and the Ezekiel Elliott situation. Uh, but college football is just a few weeks away. And I know it's something that you're passionate about. I'm passionate about. And now we have a little bit of fodder. There's the the coaches poll, the USA Today, Amway coaches poll just came out have you taken a look at it i have and actually i'm a little i'm a little not surprised (laughs) just for our (laughs) listeners just for our listeners alabama's ranked number one ohio state two florida state three southern cal number four and clemson number five and so why aren't you surprised i'm not well okay so you know i guess as a baylor fan you always want baylor to be in there but i'm actually really not surprised that we didn't garner any votes for whatever reason i mean this is the coaches not a single not a single one i'm actually kind of glad because that sets the bar pretty low which i think is a great thing i think the worst thing for baylor is when expectations are set too high and the, the team inevitably reads that reads all the hype articles and they go into games not really focused on what's important and that's winning the game and so I, I'm, I'm actually really pleased with that what i thought was interesting from the poll is that temple matt rules old you know his old coaching job they got something like eight points which i thought was really interesting right. and they just lost their head coach so i think that goes to speak to his legacy there and uh what the program that they continue to have yeah it's interesting so of course baylor is not ranked this is the first time in what like five or six years that the bears have not been ranked in the preseason and i think it's totally fair and i think it's totally justified there's a lot of question marks surrounding the program uh you had mentioned temple in the others receiving votes category with eight votes uh university of houston checks in at with seven votes. So that's, you know, they're still in the others receiving votes category. Uh, Western Michigan, who lost their head coach, PJ Fleck to Minnesota, uh, is also receiving votes. Uh, and of course, some other local schools of interest that are in there are TCU and Texas A&M just on the outside looking in. But uh, when we're looking at this top 25 poll, I mean, it's, it's the coaches poll. Honestly, it doesn't matter. It's just, it's something for us to talk about on the show. Are there any teams that stick out to you that, are ranked that shouldn't that, that be shouldn't be ranked that shouldn't be on there yes or or, or um, perhaps teams that are ranked too low ranked too low okay so I, I, i'll first speak to teams that are ranked too high um the good old university of texas the longhorns <laughs> they are number 23 on that list completely 
undeserved. Only losing team from last year ranked in the top 25. I, I think that's ridiculous. I think that that speaks to the monumental bias that some people have toward Texas, despite the fact that it cannot produce on the field. Now, that's... It could change with Tom it Herman. It could change. Tom Herman is a very talented coach, but as we know, as we've seen, UT has a way of taking talented coaches and putting their hopes and dreams in a blender, you know, and that blender is the administration, the the administrative and donor state that exists at the University of Texas that I feel like drags a lot of effective coaching down. And really the only reason that Mac Brown could coach at Texas the way that he did is that he found a way to balance those two. Yeah, he could balance coaching and this sort of like PR thing that he had to do all the time during the season. Um, A little, another, another one I'm a little surprised is up as high as it is. Um, I, I think, you know, South Florida is a great, great school. I don't know why it's as high as it is. Well, I mean, uh, they have they have a phenomenal quarterback yeah. returning. Uh, they have a new head coach, Charlie Strong. I think that, 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 I, I think they're going to be a good team that can that can surprise people. I think that they could potentially play for a New Year's Six Bowl. Right. I, I, I do think it is ironic that uh, Charlie Strong being fired from Texas is now coaching a school that's higher ranked than uh, Texas. <laughs> so I, I, I'm a little yeah. surprised there is far up there. But this is this is the coach's poll. It tends to differ from the, the AP, uh, sometimes in a significant way. Um, uh, schools that I'm surprised aren't higher on there. Um, you know, to, to tell you the truth, I think I actually think TCU should be should have more votes than it does. Maybe not up to ranking, but I, I think that why is that? Um, well, you know, to tell you the truth, I, I think that they um, I think that they're going to do a lot better this season than they did last season. I think that they're going to be. I think they're going to probably beat Baylor again. Um, <laughs> I think that they're they're just a great program. They've made. I feel like they're making changes on both offense and defense that are going to you know end up paying off on the field, to be honest with you. Um, other schools, Notre Dame is usually kind of up there, and they're not. Um, I, I think that's totally fair because they bombed yeah. last season. Uh, you know, there were, I, I, to me, I thought it was interesting. Uh, there were six teams ranked from the SEC, five from the Big 12. That's half of your football league. And then you have two other teams in the Big 12 that are receiving votes. So that that tells me this fall, if you're a Big 12 fan, it's going to be competitive. And, of course, Oklahoma leads the way. Uh, and, the, and the initial poll at number eight, uh, I, I think that's probably about fair. I mean, they've got a lot of talent, but there's the question mark looming. Uh, you know, what happens with Lincoln Riley? You know, is, is he going to be the head coach that can take him to that next level, or right. is he going to have that's, a little bit of pressure? That's a huge question mark. I'm just kind of surprised Oklahoma is, is ranked up the high. I, I feel like when you when you have a coaching change at a school, even it's if huge. even if they're hiring within. I mean, shouldn't that affect their polling numbers? I mean, shouldn't that affect because this is polls are just a reflection of confidence, right? I mean, we don't we don't have results yet. This is a preseason poll, but I mean, it's a reflection of confidence in the particular teams that you're ranking. So, honestly, I mean, Lincoln Riley he's he's proven himself in one one domain at OU, but not as a head coach, yeah, and yeah. those are two completely different and, ball games. And there's one team that I think that is going to present a lot of challenges to Oklahoma this year, and I think that's Oklahoma State. Uh, you know, they are ranked just a little bit lower at number 11, but they have a lot returning on offense. They've got a, a, a great uh, senior quarterback coming back. Uh, they've got their top wide receiver coming back, and you know, we'll get into more of the college football preview uh, a week before the season, but I think Oklahoma State, potentially Auburn, are teams that you should look out for. Auburn, of course, uh, has the Baylor transfer, Jared Stidham, at quarterback. Uh, all the talk that we heard from fall camp is that, or spring camp is that he looked phenomenal. Uh, if he could stay healthy, I think Auburn can challenge Alabama and the SEC. But we'll get in more to the college football preview, if you will, uh, here in just a few weeks. But I want to touch on one other college football story real quick. And uh, Jeremy, did you see this story 
that the NCAA actually banned a uh, a college football player. His name is Donald De La Haye. They banned him from his YouTube channel and monetizing it. Right. This is this is absolutely ridiculous. The, the NCAA could not be more hypocritical. Or like, let's let's talk. Let's call this what it is. It's anti-American. This is anti. Um, enterprise. This guy was trying to monetize his YouTube channel, and the NCAA thinks that that's somehow a violation of his amateur of the amateurism clause, right? I mean, that's 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 their rules about amateurism. You can't make money off of your football, of your career as a football player. But l- l- let's let's be clear: he was a kicker, right? So it's not like he was a star quarterback, right? At USC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this he's is- a kicker at. What South Florida? Right, and this this is so ridiculous. This is so this is such an overstep of months. This guy could, pro- I mean, you know, if the NCA was a governmental organization, you would not see this at all because he he could take them to court over this. This is this is not a. He could probably take them. To he, court. he might be able to do it now, right. but I, I, I was thinking. I mean, just just the, the the rules are so obscene, so ridiculous, and it really frustrates me when a young man is looking at a business opportunity, thinking about maybe his future, thinking about, like, what can I do with this? Because I, if I don't make it to the NFL, I've got to find something to do with my life, right? Yeah. And he's trying to, to start a business to, to earn an income, and the NCAA wants to put a stop to that just simply because, uh, in their minds, it, it violates some, some asinine role they have. So, in, in theory... It goes against the spirit of, of, of what we're trying to do to young right. people in, in, right. in, in and school. I have no problem with him having this, you know, monetizing his YouTube channel. He's not making a, a, a ton of money on YouTube right. anyways. I mean, it's, it's like pennies on the dollar. He would make more probably if he went to go work at a local McDonald's. Right. But the NCAA would allow that, right? The problem is... You could argue at the, at the same point that if he's working at McDonald's, then maybe people are going to McDonald's to visit him because he's an NCAA athlete. Like, come yeah, on. yeah, ninety nine percent of athletes go pro in something other than sports. Let this kid have his channel, right? And, and here's the other thing: like the NCAA acts like it owns these guys, and it really, really bothers me. Like the more and more I look into, like I, I'm, I'm against paying players for, for for their play at the college level. I, I do believe in amateurism, but the way the NCAA goes about it is kind of creepy. It's it, it's strange, like how much control they feel like they can exert over these guys. Yeah, and you know this idea that they should be able to monitor their social media pages and all that. Like this is like, do, do these guys sign up? Do they sign over their lives for four years to this organization that may not? always have their best interests in mind like I, I feel like we need to have a, a broader conversation about the NCA and what it really represents to these guys who are not just volunteering their time in college but you know putting their bodies on the line for for the, for the programs that they're playing in I mean and, and they should not be sacrificing their freedoms as Americans to do that I think yeah. it's, it's it's absolutely ridiculous there, need, there, there definitely needs to be a lot of reform with the NCAA. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, without this, a doubt. I mean, I mean, the fact that this is even an issue is ridiculous. I mean, there were, there was a case a few years ago. What was it? Silas Nasita, who was a uh, a running back at Baylor, was actually homeless. Yeah, yeah. And he was so, what like a donor gave him an apartment to live in. Like, yeah, or something they gave, like him, they gave him like a couch to sleep on or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And he was, you know, took impermissible benefits. I mean, the kid had to eat. The kid had to have a roof over his head. Right. Like, are, are you serious? He, he came from a really rough situation, and I, I think that he he lied about some things. I think that's kind of what got him in trouble. But still, if you're looking at just the, the 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 bare facts of what happened, it's ridiculous how the NCAA exerts this kind of control over players. And I I, I think it's something that schools need to start pushing back on. I think so too. Um, and we sort of saw that happen with North Carolina. They re- they received those notice of allegations in the spring, and they actually you know, called out 
the NCAA on hypocrisy, which I I thought was kind of funny. We'll see what happens with that. But uh, speaking of exerting authority, uh, did you see these uh, Trump transcripts that came out uh, earlier this week with his conversations with the uh, uh, the the leaders of both Mexico and Australia? Yeah, yeah, I, I I did. I briefly skimmed them. I. So there was a there were actually there was a transcript leak allegedly here uh, a couple months ago about the the call between him and the prime minister of Australia. Obviously, you know it was unverified, and so we didn't really know if what Trump purported to say was what he actually said. Um, you know, I, I think this looks bad, but it doesn't. Like I'm I'm reading them and I'm not seeing anything that's really that surprising. I think it's I think it's such a dangerous precedent uh, for any president to feel like they can't have a private conversation with another leader. Um, privacy is vital to that process. And let's not forget that when you leak this stuff, I mean, that's a felony. Like, that's a federal prison felony. This is not something to play around with. And even The Atlantic, which is no friend of Donald Trump, it, yeah, they, they have an op-ed right now that I'm reading that it, this is dangerous. This is dangerous territory. Because think about, I mean, let, let, let's, let's flip the table. If this was a Democratic president, you think the media would be, like, cheering this kind of leak? Hell no, they wouldn't. You know, and so... But I, I, I think this begs the question... These are obviously coming from Trump's administration. Is he just not putting people in? I mean, is he doing something, one, to piss people off? Two, is he not vetting these people? I mean, why do these leaks keep on happening? I mean, I I get, like, you know, some of the leaks, like, you know, Trump had dinner with Sean Hannity. Sure, that's fine. But I do think that these leaks and these transcripts are kind of a big deal. And like you said, I, I didn't think there was anything crazy in there. I mean, he told the president of Mexico that, you know, essentially he needed to stop saying publicly about, you know, Mexico wouldn't build the wall. And he essentially said that it was just a, a, a campaign fodder. And, you know, that was something that we all speculated anyways. I mean, I, I don't think that was any earth shattering news, but it is a little bit concerning that these stories continue to leak. Right. And I, I think that that goes to speak to the fact that Trump has opponents, not only in the Democratic Party, not only in the media, but within his own party. And I, I think there, it, there's been speculation of for quite a while in the conservative sphere, whatever you want to call it, that the, there are Republicans that want Donald Trump out of office more than, than the Democrats do. Um, because they think he's killing the party. Well, they think he's killing the party, but also they're afraid. Like, here, here's, here, here's, what I've, here's what I've decided. They're People are not afraid of Donald Trump. They're afraid of a successful Donald Trump as president because a successful Donald Trump as president in his first term will mean a Donald Trump in 2020. And it also means you might have more nutcases like Kid Rock. Well, God, who knows? You know, he's leading. He was leading in the polls in the Michigan. He's down 8% right now. Oh, is he down 8%? Okay. Well, there was a point where he was leading, which I think is just hilarious. Um, You know, I I don't, I don't want to speak to Kid Rock too much, but. I think that this goes to show for Donald Trump that there are people in his own party that want him destroyed. There, you know, there was a there was a headline on Drudge the other day about there are candidates like as in Mike Pence, as in some of these other guys in the Republican Party that are sort of lining up as quote unquote shadow candidates to try to upend Trump in the twenty twenty primary. Yeah, I, I think um, I, I think this is going to be the first time that we're going to see a incumbent be challenged in the primary season. Well, okay, so that's all contingent. You know, and that's that's very possible, and that would certainly be the first time this happened in the modern era. But that's all contingent on what happens from here on out. What I'm really interested in seeing, what I'm really interested in reading about right now, is how John Kelly, uh, the new chief of staff for the Trump administration, is taking control of the situation. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal about how he's basically just setting down some really hard nosed rules for some of the, some of these aides and these advisors. Um, to follow before they can even talk to Donald Trump, right? There was a there was a meeting reportedly that was going on, and two aides got into an argument in the middle of the meeting. He sent them out of the room 
like bad children and, <laughs> and said, don't come back in until you've settled your differences. Okay, so this guy is laying down the law. He's a retired four-star general. Um, has a lot of, he's, uh, supposedly he's bringing discipline and order to the White House, well, which I mean, is something it we, sorely needs. We saw what he did last Monday after he was sworn in. He let uh, Scaramucci go, who right. was the uh, communications director for, what, 10, 11 days? 11 days, yeah. yeah. In fact, uh, Scaramucci is now like a, a new uh, concept of time. Like, hey, I'll see you in a Scaramucci, which is <laughs> yeah, approximately it's, 11 it's, days. It's the new Fortnite, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> the new Fortnite, yeah. I'll see you in a Scaramucci. Um, you know, speaking of Scaramucci, uh, everyone... Everyone who who's anyone saw the op-ed, or not the op-ed, I'm sorry, the, the article in the New Yorker that he contributed to. Right. This guy, there's no way he was not on a drug when he, when he <laughs> did that. I mean, you look, he's just so unhinged. I mean, the guy has a reputation for being kind of like this big mouth New Yorker kind of businessman. But right. He, you, you look at what he said, and there's no way that that's like not a Coke binge. Okay. <laughs> if you've been around someone on cocaine, like this is the way that they think. So... I mean, some of the things he was saying about Reince Priebus, just like the awfulness. I mean, I think it was, you could not not let him go. I mean, there's just no way. It was the right decision. I mean, what does that tell you? That he made comments that even Trump was like, whoa, you probably shouldn't say that. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) Well, have we finally, has Trump, do we know now what Trump's bottom is? Right, I think so. I think I think that that's it. I mean, if Trump was reading that and was kind of like, Ooh, you know, like 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 making a face, like is that is that now what we know to be Trump's bottom? You well, know? a few a few weeks ago, we were talking about OJ Simpson. We we talked about the juice being loose, and I guess now the mooch is loose. Like, how terrible of a week did he have? He he quit well, his he, company, and his wife filed for divorce. His wife filed for yeah. divorce. He missed his child's birth. He got fired from the White House. He actually sent out a uh, a tweet. I, I think it was like Thursday or Friday. And it was, a, it was a retweet, like a political cartoon, and, and uh, it, it, it said, uh, Trump needs to stop firing staffers because the political cartoonists don't even have enough time to, to draw a cartoon about them. And it was, a, it was, a, it was, it was an image, of course, of Scaramucci, uh, not quite finished, uh, you know, after he'd been fired for, what, 10 or 11 days. But uh, it's really fascinating to me just to see this administration. I mean, they still haven't appointed a lot of the spots that need to be appointed. There seems to be discontent everywhere. You know, one week he likes Jeff Sessions. The other week he doesn't like Jeff Sessions. Right. I mean, the whole Russia Mueller investigation kind of just hinging over him right now. Well, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, and I, I, but I'm, I'm really hopeful that John Kelly is going to kind of bring some order to the White House. And I think whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, that's a good thing. You want order um, in like the nation's size capital. Yeah, absolutely. Kelly, let me read you a quote. Kelly was quoted here in a CBS News article that um, he wanted more structure, less Game of Thrones <laughs> in the White House. You, you have to like that Game of Thrones reference. Right? Absolutely, I, I absolutely love it because it's absolutely true. I mean, if you could absolutely satirize the White House right now as as a scene out of like maybe season two where people are just dying. Left and okay, right. so I'm not a uh, Game of Thrones fan. Uh, well, I mean, I've never seen an episode, and I know you're trying to convince me to change, but I, I, I do want to ask you, if you're comparing Donald Trump to a Game of Thrones character, who is it? You know, some people compare him to Joffrey. I, I, don't, I don't think that that's fair. Uh, anyone knows who the, the, the brat King Joffrey was. He was a terrible character. Um, I'm trying to think. He's almost like in, in like a more, like, over the top Eddard Stark, who was Sean Bean's character, you know, like he does, he he's trying to do what he thinks is right, but it's to his own, you know, it, it, it ends up, he, but he's not smart about it. And so it ends up getting him, you know, locked, knocked off at the end of season one. Uh, that being said, I, I don't, you know, you could, if I had another Game of Thrones fan here, we could talk <laughs> all day about what characters in the White House, um, you know, what, what they're, 
what what you know their Game of Thrones counterpart would be. Well, but, maybe maybe we should do that for an episode coming up here. Uh, well, it's funny. We point. actually have to find someone here, or someone here needs to get with the rest of the world and watch Game of Thrones. Yeah, because myself. Hunter, we don't watch. Uh, Derek Fogel, who was on the show a few weeks ago. Oh my gosh, he, he doesn't watch. He was he, he was like he was revolted when I when I told him I, I watched. I, I, I will say Sean Pendergast, we had in the episode a, a few weeks back before we headed off to Texans training camp. He is a guy that does watch Game of Thrones. Maybe we can have him back on the show here in a few weeks, and you guys can chat uh, Game of Thrones. Maybe something before the uh, the season finale uh, comes up. But uh, a lot of fascinating topics. And again, we're going to get into the interview with uh, David Smoke here in just a few moments. But before we do, want to remind you that you can follow our work on social media. Just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You can also go to our website, and that's weeklybrewcast.com. We post uh, our show content there each week, uh, each Monday morning, in fact. And uh, we hope you like it. It's 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 something that um, you know. Occasionally, we'll post uh, links to stories that we find fascinating, and we'll definitely post a link to uh, Hunter's story uh, this week, which you could definitely check out. And also, give him a follow at Hunter Atkins thirty five. But uh, we've got a good interview with uh, David Smoke coming up here in just a few moments. So, without further ado, it's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. Joining us now on the Weekly Brew is David Smoke from ESPN Central Texas. And uh, David, it was probably about seven years ago around this time that I had just graduated from Baylor and I was moving on to Louisiana to work in uh, the athletic department there. And I think you were just moving to uh, to Waco at that time. And I guess just reflecting back on your past seven years in Waco, how would you say your time has kind of evolved covering athletics in Central Texas? Well, honestly, when I moved to Waco, I thought I'd be here about a year. <laughs> and uh, it, it, I didn't really know, but I, I kind of felt like I would probably be here about a year and uh, had a, maybe an option or two to, to be able to go elsewhere. But I, I just kind of felt good, one, about where the radio station was soon after I arrived. There was a it, it was a it's a good station. It always been a, a popular station, but in, in when it came to revenue and sales, uh, they were stagnant. A lot of that was not because of who was here, but because of the ownership at the time not allowing uh, uh, the department to be very aggressive. And you know we changed a lot of things um, uh, when it comes to going to, to Cowboys camps and the Super Bowls and to cover Baylor. I thought. Uh, even more thoroughly, and, and it just opened things up. They'd always been heavy with high school football, and, and I think we even added more to that. So I just felt good, and I, I've, I've done kind of implemented something similar back in 1990 with a radio station at Tyler, and uh, when I got here, I said, okay, I'll probably be here for about a year. And, <laughs> and a lot of it, you know, it depends on what the, uh, what the ownership allows you to do, and, right. and I, I, I felt good about the, um, the philosophy, and then then um, and then and then you could see Baylor building. You could see what was 16 years or whatever of hell uh, when it came to at least on the field issues uh, with with talent losses or lack of talent losses and frustrations and disastrous this and that. When it comes to you know they just weren't very good. And I you know I didn't know they just come off back to back four and eight in our browsers first couple of years. And so I. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know. I, I knew that Bryles would win because he's, he's, you know, but he, I just knew he would. And I, um, I didn't know how quickly, but it was, it was hearing. And it, it, I tell you, it was an interesting thing. And I don't want to go off on a tangent, but it was interesting because Baylor fans were so thirsty for just, I mean, just a nice win. 
Right. You know, not I know they had the the, the the nice huge what was it overtime or whatever it was against A and M, and there was a couple of those along the way. But I think there might have been a win at Missouri or Colorado. But I mean, you know, they were just looking for a bowl game. I remember and. Oh, I watched the the fans storm the field after beating Kansas State in 2010 <laughs> um, to get to six wins, and it kind of affected me. It affected me not on how we cover Baylor because we had already changed that a little bit. It affected me because I was like, man, this is this is like watching a baby grow up in a way. You know, it's kind of like watching a newborn. Um, and so I I just kind of really enjoyed. The how fit the I, I got kind of caught up in how the fans were so like hungry for anything and and uh, at times they still were a little bit worried about coming out from underneath the rock and and then of course we know the great run that they had and and I just kind of I, I just kind of enjoyed it my owner's taking care of me uh you know my son works here he moved here in 2013 he does a show with us 11 to 2 and yeah and at the same time uh, there, there was the, the the 20 to 22 months of uh of uh, a dark cloud because of what happened involving off the field and, and, and uh, the, the scandal and the allegations and eventually Pepper Hamilton and, and a lot since that time. And, and, and there will be some more bumps in the road and even more things that might happen down the road that people may not have known as much about or we didn't know much about. But it's been fun. I've really I've enjoyed it. I, I would be lying if I didn't think during that 18 to 22 months that there were days I didn't sleep, uh, self self-reflecting on what I could have known more of or done better. Um, uh, also frustrated with my profession because of the, the lynch mob mentality of social media. Uh, I think misinformation in some ways that, that just gets uh, blown out of proportion. But in the end, there was some bad stuff. And, and I, I decided uh, it was about a year ago, my owner and I, we got sideways with each other pretty badly because – not one time at all did Baylor ever contact me or anyone from Baylor ever contact me to say that they didn't like what we were discussing or that they didn't like whether we were going there with a topic or my opinion about it. Uh, I've been very clear about how I feel about this. and um, But my owner did. My owner, I think, started to feel a little bit of blowback from some people. And one day after about two or three days of us you know, he just thought we were probably not covering it too much, but he just said that, you know, he felt like we'd gone just, it just was, can we move on to something else? Well, obviously this is before, this is right after Pepper Hamilton, so it proved us right the way we were covering it because we, you, you, <laughs> the end result was, tr- was traumatic for a lot of people. Obviously, most importantly, are the alleged victims. So um, I, I, I just kind of... Uh, uh, we, we we got a little bit sideways, and I thought last year in the summer he came to me, and I thought it was pretty much over that we would not be able to coexist because of my philosophy and what he wanted me to do. Mm-hmm. But we got through it, and uh, here we are now over a year later, and we're healthy. Things are going well, and there's a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, even though there might be a few you know, pieces of bricks along the way. But I hope that makes sense the way I explain that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, we're just a few weeks away from uh, the start of the Matt Rule era. I mean, he's been, uh, you know, leading fall camp and, uh, you know, there's a quarterback battle. But this Baylor team is a lot different than what it was last year with Jim Grobe. Uh, There's more, it seems like, confidence going into the season with the new staff. Uh, Mac Rhodes is entering year two. How would you consider the vibe on campus in Waco right now compared to this exact same time one year ago? Well, that's a good question. Uh, a year ago at this time, there was a lot of, there was so much um, 
and I used that word earlier, but there was so much trauma because there had been a buildup of so many different people thinking they knew uh, about the future of the program or the future of uh, the football staff, or Art Browse or his assistants. And I mean, at this time last year, it was uh, it was a gloom and it was gloomy. I mean, the assistants had hung around and they were also taking a beating. And uh, you know, you had the Jarrett Stidham uh, transfer. Um, uh, you had so much still unknown. There was the fan base was pretty much fractured uh, from those who were sick and tired of everything to some who were embarrassed, and then some that were just no matter what. You know, they were uh, they were not believing anything was true. And 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 then going into the season, I think there were still pretty good expectations that was uh, a team that could be competitive for the Big Twelve title. But I never once ever thought that way. Right. Um, absolutely never once felt as if they would win more than seven or eight games. And if they did, it would be one hellacious uh, gut check type of deal. And I think they had gut checks at the end of the year. Uh, I think eventually they became so fragile mentally across the board within the program and eventually just, you know, crashed and burned, right? I guess uh, truly just a slightly before Texas, but after Texas. And then, of course, the, the night of TCU which was just like a, to me, like a blur of all the things that happened then. But uh, one of the biggest differences is, well, there's two. One, they now know who their head coach is going to be, at least for what appears to be the long term. Number two, they now know that the coaching staff is set. And so that, in that particular reason, whether this team wins four games or not, and I don't know what they'll do, uh, that's something we can get into later. The, the recruiting class at this time, Remember, not only did they have, I think, maybe one or two commitments, they had lost half of the 2016 recruiting class at about this time. I mean, from the Pepper Hamilton was what, Austin? It was like May 26th. Um, Ian McCall was fired. He kind of resigned, I think, on that Monday after that. Jim Jim Grove was reported to be the next coach. He was introduced on Friday, that first weekend in June. Uh, Soon after that, Jarrett Stidham transferred and then. Um, you know, the, the, the rating of their class uh, from all angles. And and uh, so, I mean, everyone was just bloodied. As far, I'm talking about the, the fan base, bloodied. Uh, as, a, as someone covering the team, we still knew there were still more stories that we had to try to figure out of what was true and what wasn't and what else did we not know. As I said, we kind of self-reflected on that. And, uh, and, and, and recruiting became a non-issue for us we've always tried to recover not as much as maybe the message boards or the right. various dot coms but we uh, my staff and i just basically said there you know we realized pretty quickly because i have fortunately a, a tremendous relationship with hundreds of coaches around the state of texas and so i have the ability because of my high school website to fire off an email like two or three emails and reach 500 coaches hmm. and and not, and that's not even half the state because there's 1,200 plus public schools, but in the privates as well. But I fired off an email, and I remember talking to one guy that I have great respect for, and I said, "Have you met, or has anyone been on your campus from Baylor?" He said, "I haven't seen him, and I don't think I will." And he was an actual guy that was a little bit frustrated with uh, even the coaching change. I mean, this is a guy that's a, a, a Texas high school football coach that still wasn't sure what exactly was the story but 
I, I, that's when I got the impression. So then I fired off this email, and I got one after another, after another, after another, after another, after another. And I told him, I said, I'm not asking this for anything that's uh, like, you know, oh, my God, I just want to know myself that no one was hearing from anybody. If there was any contact, it might have just been random. And so we didn't have to cover recruiting for really almost three months, which has always been kind of a bread and butter. Craig especially is all in the middle of all that. So um, so that was also different than it is right now because now they have, what, 17, 18 names that are already committed to the class of 2018? Right. I mean, they had one, and then and here's another thing, and I forgot the young man's name. I think he ended up yeah, Jalen Petrie. To you, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, Petrie was one that was committed. You're right, and he's the one. God bless this kid. I don't care who he had been committed to, but he that he he remained that way uh, all the way through the the uh, the ups and the downs, with mostly downs, and remained that way, and then stayed committed. And signed what actually enrolled, I think, in the uh, for the fall of spring semester after Matt Rule was introduced. Well, there was another player, and I don't know where he ended up. I think it was TCU or so. I don't remember. It doesn't matter that we had on the show who had committed to Baylor like about this time, or maybe at some point before the season, or right before the, at the beginning. And I remember asking him what was the main reason he committed to Baylor because they were going through what they were going through. And he said at the end of the interview because I love the coaching staff. Interesting. Well, the first thing we all, Paul and, and, and Butch and I were in the studio, we all looked at each other, we went to the break, said, hey, thanks a lot. We knew he was gone because he didn't know at the time. God bless the young kid. He didn't know because the coaching staff was going to be gone. There were still, as you remember, there was still on occasion a flare-up or a rumor or speculation that I never did believe that might be, you know, just take your beating this year and everything will be reestablished and everything will be, you know, kind of back to normal and that even there was a chance that Coach Browse would be back at the end of the year. I never believed any of that. There was just no way that, uh, one, that could happen. I just could not see how it's happening. Without, no matter the information, I just didn't – I just never thought that – I never believed that was true. And, I, and I, I don't think it was. But is that this guy said he was there for the staff. Well, we knew the staff would be gone. So that was means that Petrie was the only one. And so that affected it. But now um, you've, got, you've got what you, know, you hear that term light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, there's still going to be things. There's the book that's going to be re- released that's probably going to have much more uh, details on some of the actual events that occurred. I don't know if there's – I don't think uh, – I'm pretty sure there's not any smoking gun that will be – but people are going to have that book's going to come out on August 22nd, so they're going to have to deal with that. And some of the immediate social media, oh, my God, this is awful, for those who want to keep saying that. And then there's going to be those that are trying to move on that may say, okay, well, that's just another level of now that's out. Now, you know, it's another part of the healing process. Um, and I really don't know how most, how most people feel about that, but uh, I, I, I just sense, and you never know in the coaching profession, I mean, we've seen guys that have jumped from one place to the next. Uh, I, I do have a feeling that Matt Rule is in it for the long haul. I do think that if he has immediate success here at Baylor, this is just my opinion, that he, and I've never asked him this question. I'll start to have more one-on-one time with him when the season begins. But I still believe that because of his history background in, in the NFL, that if, in fact, he was to have, especially under the circumstances here, Austin, really good success, 
that, that, that someone might go, wow, you know, that, 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 you know, this guy's like on a bullet up, up, the, up the pipeline. And that, that, you know, that might be something that Baylor would have to look at. But they, you know, they gave him a seven-year deal because, one, I think he realized he wants to do it the right way and not try to rush into success. Number two, I think he realizes that, that uh, he, you know, he kind of feels like he's, he's not, not that he's never said this like the chosen one, but he said he felt like there was a reason he was brought here because we know he had other options. And the option was a school that's, that's not under, you know, Oregon, any dark right. clouds. Oregon, you know? Kind of the modern before or Baylor was cool. It was Oregon that made everything cool. So I I've I've not really gotten to know. I've gotten to know Matt Rule well enough with uh, the ability for me to contact him on occasion, see him at some things, traded some information with him, uh, asked him a lot about some of his former players, and I've been able to kind of get to know him. I, there's no doubt about it. I know coaches, all of them, you know, can be a politician. They can be a salesman. They can be a lot of things, but I do feel like there's a lot of real there. And I also think that he's getting everything he wants right now. So he, you know, and, and that's that honeymoon period. I, I, I believe in the guy. I don't know what it's going to translate with wins and losses because there's there's a lot of things. Uh, a lot of it depends on who else is going to be better this year in the Big 12. Uh, but I, 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 I don't know the staff yet, but I like kind of the mixture. You know, the old grouchy guys that coach me because I'm 58 <laughs> years old. You know, like a George DeLeon or a Phil Snow that look like, you know, that they could be back in the years of Lombardi. <laughs> and, and then there's the young, hip guys like Jeff Nixon and Fran Brown and, and, and some of those guys. And then I loved the, what they did early with the high school coaches immediately with Wetzel and Sean Bell. And, of course, then I think the mother load as well with Joey McGuire. So th- there's just so much. Now, there's going to be – things they have to deal with and what i like about it and i also got to say this about baylor athletics when we've had mac Rhodes on which we have about probably five out of every six tuesdays he's on our show he has never once ever dodged a question from us ever i mean from some of the things that have happened even when matt rule was hired with his a couple of his peripheral staff or trayvon blanchard or this or that i mean they have met it head-on the athletic communication staff, when I've asked them about things, when there's an incident or two that we've heard about and needed to know about, we've asked and we've gotten almost immediate response. And I think it's because that was one of the problems. We were getting nothing. Right. And everyone was trying to, like, maybe act like it was going to blow over. And so I think with all of those things combined, there's a large, big, huge light at the end of the tunnel. What that means, wins and losses twice, I can't tell you. But as far as a breath of fresh air, it's there. Now, they go out and they spit it up a little bit and they win a game or two but don't look sharp. Or if they if they go to Duke and, and you know, Duke on about every, what, every three or four years, they're pretty good. If, if you know, if that doesn't happen, uh, if, you know, if they go out there and lose a game early, if, I'm, I'm talking about losing to Oklahoma, but if they lose a game early, you know, there's going to be, oh, my God. And then there'll be some that start to bring up the ghost of, of Bryles' past. And there's going to, you know, but that's part of everything. That's going to happen with Tom Herman at Texas if they right. go out to Southern Cal and get drilled, or if they go to Maryland and get upset. And 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 so that happens with everybody. It's also going to be the same thing that uh, that Lincoln Riley's got to deal with at time, times ten with what Riley and Herman have to deal with. So I think Matt Rule does need something nice early to happen to kind of just 
settle things down even even more if possible. So, so it sounds to me like uh, you know Baylor is moving in that positive direction. And it seems like all the, all the right pieces are in place. It seems like uh, you know even from the athletic communications office and David K, there's more communication. There's more communication between the AD, the the staff. It just seems like a better place, uh, and, and not in that dark hole that we were a year ago. But I guess looking forward, I mean uh, Baylor's been in what fall camp now for just about a week, week and a half. Uh, from the time that you've been out there, how have you noticed? the players responding to the new coaching staff is there more confidence is is there more concern because you're not necessarily sure that Zach Smith is going to be the starting quarterback or are there still question marks with the offensive line I mean what is the general vibe with the football team in fall camp as we get closer to that game against Liberty well that's a great question I I do think that um, early on there, there had to be kind of a it's kind of like and I don't know if I don't know I'm not very good sometimes with analogies but it's um it's I don't know if the analogy would be you've worked in a business somewhere for a long, long time, and then all of a sudden you have a new boss, and you know there's always the the new boss is going to want to have his old people or his people he's most comfortable with, and so maybe that was part of the, some of the players or even some of those in athletics when Mac Rhodes arrived. Um, I, I do think that uh, I do feel like this, and I have heard this a lot, and I I think sometimes people have to be careful about how they react to this. Is that well, these guys care about the kids off the field. Or these guys care about these young men becoming, you know, good human beings. I mean, I still think the old staff truly wanted that, whether it's a, a Randy Clements or a Chris Acup or whoever. Uh, obviously, some things got sideways and maybe focus was lost or uh, the, the, the sight of what to do was not where it needed to be or the protocol within the university, which, of course, has been in question. It remains in question uh, uh, throughout that, 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 uh, turmoil. So, um, uh, but I do feel like I talked to Fran Brown. He was a part of the media session. What was it? A couple of days ago. And, uh, he, he's kind of a guy that is their buffer, you know, kind of think Kaz Kazadi might've been some of this for coach Browell's staff or whoever, they had great relationships with the players. There's no question about it. And sometimes maybe it was almost too good. I don't know. But with Kaz Kazadi was kind of like probably the guy that if they couldn't get somebody straight, they'd get Kaz involved. Like right. he would, he would be the come to Jesus. I think Fran Brown. I have a story, and you may have heard this. I hope it's not going to be boring. But I heard about this kid named Nate Harrison, who's now with the Colts. He played at Temple, and Matt Rule basically was done with him. I don't know if it was like having a a, a petulant teenager. I don't know if it was someone that just was not very disciplined because he comes from a family with the, the mother, father, and everything else in between. I don't think it was like a, a nefarious or like uh, anything illegal. It wasn't like drugs or things like that. It wasn't anything like that. It was this kid and Matt Rule. They just they weren't coexisting. And he finally just said, I'm done. Done. And I don't know if it was Phil Snow or somebody that kind of convinced him, wait a minute. You know, because this guy's obviously a talent. He's in the NFL. But he goes, wait a minute. And it wasn't trying to save a kid who should have been, oh, we can't deal with that. Or we got to deal with that. Or he's suspended or the university. Nothing like that. It was just a, you know, I mean, some of us have personality conflicts. There are some people that coaches who could get along with perhaps you that, that, that other players just like, huh? you know, they, it, it, it's just sometimes you connect and sometimes you don't. And Rule seems to be a guy that tries to do that, but he's got his own way about it. Fran Brown inter- intervened. I don't remember if Nate Harrison was playing a different position, but they, they put him in on defense. I think he's one of those guys like Matt Rule's got on his teams at times that could go either way. Um, 
and 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 that, that maybe he was a player on offense or me I don't know but Fran Brown said I'll take him or Phil Snow suggested let him see if he can play with it with him and Fran who's 34 probably at the time might have been even young, well he would have been younger because he's 34 now and something clicked I don't know what it was I don't know if it because Fran Brown's got more hip in him or he's younger or he can understand the you know uh, uh, shows kids watch or Xbox or uh, what music's being played or could just talk the language or whatever might have been a background I don't know but this guy's in the NFL and so when you ask me about the relationship with the staff I think there's probably some conflicts I think there's probably some players that still aren't sure I think there's probably a few of those and I, and I think there's some I'll tell you what you've heard the story of Mo Porter Mo right. Porter I thought last year during this time and throughout the year was on edge sometimes when it came to social media. And I think almost, and I can't relate to one specific tweet or whatever, but I, you know, kind of like that he was rebellious because a lot of these guys had lost their fearless leader. And then they also saw probably a staff that was distracted and at times angry or pissed. And I thought, I was like, I don't even know if this guy's going to get, I don't think he'll make it through Matt Rule's, uh, you know, it's not going to work. Mo Porter won the award for the, the guy who probably did the best or changed the most or was more of a leader or role model or whatever you want to call it during the offseason than anybody else. And that he's now one of those guys. He was not taken to Big 12 media days because you can only take so many, but that Rule has said over and over again that this kid who has never started a game as the offensive lineman, he's a Juco transfer, never started a game as an offensive lineman, has now become – kind of like a go-to guy, like somebody that the players look up to, whether young or even some of the guys that were probably still trying to figure out, is this going to work out? And I, I think that's one of the success stories of the, of the staff, uh, kind of uh, being able to, to handle these guys and the trust level that there is. Uh, let's not forget the offense is changing. It's not going to be completely like from black to white or from blue to red or from you know north to south, but it's changing. And there's some of these offensive players that came there to play a specific offense and maybe have a chance afterwards to get a chance at the next level. Now the offense is changing and in, in a way might even make that opportunity more so because of some of the history that, that rules had with players at Temple. Not that Baylor didn't have players that played or at least had a chance in the NFL. But you have that, and they've bought into it. The defense has changed. They've bought into it. Now, will it work again? That remains to be seen. Uh, the physical practices. I don't know. I'm sure I got a couple of text messages from a parent or two that mentioned that, you know, there was some barking because it was a little bit too much contact. Well, that's normal. Right. When you probably, right. I'm not saying they weren't physical before because Baylor's offensive line could maul anybody. Remember after that game at home one year, uh, it might have been Floyd Casey. They played West Virginia, scored like 70. The, the West Virginia defensive coordinator said it was catastrophic at every single level because of the physicality, the fact they couldn't stop Baylor, and the fact that they were their minds were blown. So it's not like they haven't just annihilated people and physically embarrassed people, UCLA in the bowl game, North Carolina in the bowl game. So they were physical. I think sometimes people need to be careful about uh, thinking they weren't. But now it's just a different type of way of going about doing it. And, you know, there's going to be players who bark. It's like if all of a sudden when somebody takes away your toys, and, you know, there's going to be some grumbling. But you know what? It's not going to change. So you better either jump on board or go play for 
a Division II school oh, or sit out of here. And I think <laughs> that there has been – hey, think about this. How many guys – how many players transferred? And I'm not including, uh, for example, the, the Title IX issue with Trayvon Blanchard. I'm not talking about that. Stidham had left already six, seven months earlier before a rule was there. How many players from last year's team decided they didn't want to come back? It was just, what, a handful of people, right? Like, Oh, I mean, I thought they'd lose 12, 15 guys. If they wouldn't have made the right choice at head coach, it didn't matter what kind of offense he ran or where he was from. If they didn't make the choice that it worked in the minds of the players, I thought they could go through something very similar than what they did with their class of 2016, and they could lose part of their class. And, of course, that was the one that Rule saved, but they could lose 10 or 12 guys who just said, okay, I'm done, transfer. You know, I mean, there was that stupid rumor out there that was so false about Zach Smith wanted to transfer. No, he didn't. I talked to Zach Smith. I talked to Zach Smith's father. And Zach made a couple of comments that were taken out of context. And by me, by the way, because I, I was kind of surprised by it when somebody asked him about and he was like, well, I'll just have to wait to see how this goes. But, you know, I got to figure it out. Well, it was a, here's a 19-year-old kid or 18-year-old kid who had been thrown into as a true freshman of playing football, his whole world has been flipped upside down before he takes a snap in practice, you know, during, during the football season, his coach is gone. And all of a sudden here comes a guy that runs the ball a lot and maybe runs a different offense. And so I could see where he was a little bit like, wait a minute, what's going on here? But he's going to start, you would think, barring an injury, the opening game against Liberty. Now, does that mean he gets all of it? I don't know. That's going to depend a lot on what they do with Solomon and how really up the ladder quick Charlie Brewer can do what he does. But I'll tell you this. We found this out today. Uh, Zach Smith lost about 10 pounds. He's a big body. He's always been kind of thought of as a, as a lumbery type guy. I had a conversation with his father. His dad's great. His father called me up one time, and he was a little bit frustrated because he felt like people thought Zach Smith could not have any mobility. And, you know, Bryce Petty even had some pretty good mobility, but Bryce was still also, he wasn't obviously RG3. He wasn't a guy that could take off and run, but he did. Bryce could. And, And Zach wasn't able to do that. But what did he have last year? A tremendous, very painful uh, ankle injury, which he played through at West Virginia. Remember, he was limping through most of that game, and they almost won that game, and he was fantastic. And he was incredible in the bowl game. KD Cannon got most of the attention. Zach Smith was phenomenal, nearly flawless in that game, played with a ligament that was damaged, then got that fixed, decided to lose 10 pounds. You don't do that if you're unhappy. Right. And I could have understood where he was unhappy. And I don't know how it's going to go as far as how who gets all the reps or whatever, because you never know. But I think there's an example of that's a guy that – how many quarterbacks do we see transfer now in college football? Like 30 a year? It, it's, I mean, it's, like, it's quite it's a like lot. It's like an epidemic. Right. And, and a lot of it's because they're graduates. Well, he couldn't graduate. He's just a freshman. But it's, he, could have, he could have taken that way out. He could have said, I'm done. I'm going to go somewhere that I know I can play right away. You know, sit out a year. He stood here. That's kind of not quite the Jalen Petrie part of it, but I think it says a lot. Now, if things, you know, a new Solomon's a guy who's he's a graduate who came in because he probably thought there was an opportunity, there was a vulnerability at quarterback. You, I know for a fact that that put a fire. They have a great respect for each other, a new Solomon and Zach Smith. But when when you have a guy coming in as a graduate transfer who can play right away, and he comes into your backyard. 
I think that probably lights a fire, and you know, you know what? And I think it did too. I mean, David, I think you've got me like really fired up for just the football season. I I, I don't care about you know if, if they go eight and four, if they go six and six, if they go you know four and eight. But I just think the direction of the program. I mean, from everything that you're telling me, it just gets me. Uh, in a better place than I was last year. Because I remember leaving that TCU game at halftime last year because of that sign that said uh, Coach Art Bryles that was hanging in the suite around the 50-yard line. And I was just I was just so disgusted with the, the direction of the program. I, I just didn't like that the assistant coaches were still on staff. But I, I don't know. It was just very heartbreaking. But it seems like Matt Rule is the right guy for the job. And it just seems, from everything that you're saying, uh, that the players are completely buying into you know giving him a chance and and to me I think that speaks a lot for the direction of the program moving forward but if you've got time for one more question I know you also cover the Dallas Cowboys for ESPN uh, Central Texas and uh, you know they opened up a Hall of Fame game this Thursday uh, against the the Cardinals Jerry Jones uh, got inducted to the Hall of Fame on Sunday Uh, so it's kind of a big time for the Cowboys and uh, one of the guys that I want to ask you about is Rico Gathers who obviously came from Scott Drew's basketball program uh, had a 26-yard touchdown reception uh, in Thursday night's game. Uh, what are his prospects to actually making this team? I mean, I know he's a little bit raw, has some potential, but uh, it seems like the Cowboys think he has a lot of upside. Well, they, they actually, you remember, though, they drafted him, a guy that had played football in high school, and that was it. They just uh, felt like they had a few of those extra picks, compensatory picks. I don't know if he was a compensatory actual pick, but they had a, what the hell? You got a guy at a Hall of Fame, possibly Hall of Fame tight end in Jason Witten. Some people say yes, and some people aren't sure because tight ends are never a gimme. But um, they drafted him. Uh, they kept him on the squad. He's athletically, we know how gifted he is. He's obviously incredibly competitive. He's got a toughness to him. Uh, he's got to kind of control his temper a little bit. It gets the best of him at times in practice. Uh, but he, I thought that the, the, the part that the part I was impressed with on uh, Thursday night when he caught the touchdown pass was one, it looked like a pretty good route, all right? And the second part, he had a guy draped all over him. Right. And I know he's a big body, so he, a guy just kind of bounced off him like a, a water on a duck's bath, a back, and, and he, he made the catch, and it made it look easy. And listen, Jason Witten is their guy. And then Hannah, and I'm forgetting one of the names as well, the kid I think that may have played at Texas. Uh, I mean, they're both still in the mix. Now, one of them or both of them seem to sometimes have problems with injuries. So Rico gathers, I don't know. He's still got to cut the team down to 53 at the end of the month. So you got to cut the team down to 53. If he, is he on the 53-man roster? Do you keep four tight ends? Plus you have two guys in both Rod Smith and Keith Smith who are kind of your fullback lead blockers for Zeke Elliott H-back types. Well, so is a tight end as far as an H-back. So they got to make a decision there. And they got now, the more and more they give him time and the more and more people get to see that, they might be able to sneak somebody in uh, as injured. Well, you still have to make the 53-man roster. Uh, There's no question. The difference, uh, last year at this time we were at training camp, I remember going to a practice, and they were running this drill where they put a kind of like one of those helmet shields, uh, not the shield, but like a helmet wrap over the helmet, which kind of dictates you're the quarterback like a different color or a running back or don't hit this guy. And sometimes it's also the jersey color. But they put this thing over the head of a a helmet of the player, and the tight ends coach, who's not there anymore, he retired, the tight ends coach was making the players um, have this wrap on, and then he would say something. They'd have to pull it out, and the ball was almost halfway to them. 
It was kind of a hand, hand-eye coordination drill. Enrico was doing it wrong over and over and over again and was getting frustrated, and the coach was jawing at him. And, you know, he's, he's teaching him up. But now it's as if he has been, well, with an NFL team through the off-seasons, watching film, getting a feel for it, uh, and, and now understands where he is. He's an athlete. He's made the transition. But let's not forget now that he does have people in front of him, and they do have to cut the roster to 53. The eight-man or ten-man practice squad does not happen until you cut the roster to 53. It's a numbers game. It would be hard for the Cowboys, after what we've seen from Rico, the development for Rico, to let him out there and be free, unless there's something they would tell him, like, listen, we uh, hold on, I got We've got to cut you. We don't want to, uh, but we're going to put you on the practice squad. Well, you know what? The practice squad doesn't play as much doesn't nearly pay as much as a guy that makes the roster. Right. And whether it's with Dallas or Arizona or with Washington or with, uh, or with San Diego or the now L.A. Chargers. So uh, I, I like his chances now because the Cowboys kind of seem to fall for guys like that. And in some cases, it's been a bad thing when they've done it. But I think in his case, they've actually really seen tremendous progress. When I talk to the beat writers that cover Dallas, they all say, you know, he's, he's you know, Half of them think he's going to make the 53-man roster, and half of them think that he's just a hype. Not that he's not talented or that he might one day be pretty good, but that let's let's still come down to this. We can sit there and think whatever you want. It's kind of like having no starting quarterback, but you have three. And, you you know, how many do you keep? It comes down to, bottom line, it's a crunching numbers, like a CEO or like like an accountant. It comes down to names and numbers, and there's 53 guys that make the roster, and the other ones don't. And can he make it under that cut? Will they keep four tight ends? And as good as he looked on that game Thursday, let's not forget, it was against a bunch of nobodies, and a lot of the guys who actually play on Sundays weren't in that game. Last question for you on the Cowboys. Ezekiel Elliott had a hell of a season uh, in his rookie campaign last year, but he's had some off-the-field issues that have kind of – surrounded him this season there's speculation that uh, the NFL might suspend him for the first few games of the season what have you heard on Ezekiel Elliott and if he isn't able to start the season how much of an impact will that have on the Cowboys success well I mean with all due respect to Dak Prescott or Jason Witten or Sean Lee Ezekiel Elliott to me is their best player I don't mean he's the most valuable player but he does kind of set up things I think the running game uh, is obviously as good because of him but as much as it is because of the offensive line, because he's a special player who also can run. He's not just a running back that can break tackles. He's a guy that can get around the corner and has that speed where he doesn't even look like he's running, and he's running away from people. I think it would have a tremendous impact on him. Uh, you know, last year they lost their first game. They were trying to get over the fact Romo was hurt, and Kellen Moore had broken his leg, and they got this kid from Mississippi, Mississippi State who actually played well in that opening game. But they lost their opening game to the Giants. But they were able to bounce back from that. So I don't think really you could you could have a game or two where you remember one year Emmett Smith was holding out in '93 and they lost their first two games and then they signed him, which almost forced Jerry Jones to write Emmett a check, and, and then they came back and went to the Super Bowl and won their second of what would be three out of four years. So um, I mean it would it would be what what they want. It's like with anything else. I, I I'm involved a lot with sponsorships and sales and things like that with clients and businesses. I would rather have a business tell me no than maybe. Maybe means you're still a part of it, but maybe usually to me means no, they just don't want to tell you no. 
And I would rather have somebody tell me no than a maybe. Uh, obviously, the goal is to get yeses. And, and, and I think the case with the Cowboys, Jerry Jones is emphatic. Even at the at, in Canton, Ohio, yesterday at the Hall of Fame, where we have Paul and Q covering it with Ladanian Tomlinson and Jerry and others being inducted, he is adamant that the Cowboys feel like there will be no suspension. But it's still out there. And anyone who's been involved in anything that's a legal issue or a lawsuit, even if you feel like you've got all the evidence in the world, if he does, even if you feel like you have the best attorney in the world, and if it goes to a jury, and in this case it's a one-man jury and Roger Goodell, but if it goes to a jury, you never know the answer of how somebody is looking at what looks like it's black or white or north or south or east and west because everybody looks at things differently, and I think that's just enough to kind of linger out there. But I, Jerry has been, either he's talking that way to send a message to the commissioner, because he's Jerry Jones, that it's not going to happen, so you need to just get that through your head, or he's talking that way just to keep the vibe as positive as you can. I don't think he'll be suspended. I know the Cowboys have had a lot of things that have happened with players, PEDs, uh, marijuana, whatever, uh, domestic violence. For some reason on this one, I know it's lingered. I know it's been there a long time. I don't think it's going to happen. I know the NFL is not afraid to, to, to suspend stars. Remember, they suspended Ray Rice and Adrian Peterson. Right. But they didn't really do that with Ray Rice until the video came out, as far as the, the you know, out for a long time. Um, I, I think the NFL sometimes worries more about the shield and their image then they deal what, what then they do with sometimes what's actually the right penalty. And I'm not protecting Ezekiel. Listen, if he put his hands on somebody, then he, you know, he should have the hand cut off. But I'm, I'm just not sure. I don't, I don't, I have a pretty good sense on these things, but I think on this one, I'll be surprised if he gets any kind of suspension. And, and if he does, I think they're fine. They'll deal with it. They have a hell of an offensive line. I think McFadden or Morris, and now the addition of Hillman, Zach Prescott, a year older. They've got weapons at every position in the receiving core, the tight ends. That means the defense would have to be maybe a little bit better early. But I think, if they, I think they can overcome if they don't have him for a game or two if it comes down to that. Well, the NFL season is just a few weeks away. College football just a few weeks away. Uh, David Smoke joining us on the Weekly Brew Podcast. You can look for him on Twitter at David Smoke. And uh, David, we appreciate you joining us on the podcast this week. And uh, what do you have coming up in terms of coverage for both uh, the Cowboys and Baylor here in the next few weeks? Well, today, Paul Catalina and Q, in fact, are live in Canton, Ohio. And uh, for Lavinian Tomlinson's induction, a kid from Waco, uh, from University High, who has been a phenomenal player and a pro and a person, uh, we've got, you know, slowly but surely we'll have the Baylor various availabilities that we had today. It was uh, Glenn Thomas, the quarterback's coach, and all three quarterbacks that were available. So we'll have some of that, and then eventually it will be somebody else. I think they've already had the running backs and the cornerbacks, and eventually it'll be other people as well. And, and you know, we st- high school football practices start Monday, so we'll start to mix that into it. And then we have various weekly analysts, as you know, whether it's about Baylor or college football or about high school or about the Cowboys. And right now it's kind of like the last breath while things are cranking up. Uh, there's three weeks. Three weeks from today the college football season starts, although there might be a game or two early that week. Three weeks from last night is when the high school season begins. And we've got broadcasts and we've got interviews and we've got all sorts of things going on. So, uh, And then the Cowboys start uh, right that second weekend in, uh, I guess maybe that opening Thursday, second week of uh, September. Uh, it's here. I just told a friend of mine, I said, you know, somebody asked me about, well, are you going anywhere this week? And I said, 
I'm about to probably be from the first week in September. If you think about it, from September 1st on a Friday until the week before Christmas, high school football doesn't have a day off. They don't, right. they don't have a week off. There's bye weeks, and some teams make the playoffs and get knocked out, and some go all the way to the first, the week before Christmas. College football won't stop until a week or two into January, no matter what Baylor does. And, and the NFL doesn't end until the first week in February at the Super Bowl in Minneapolis. So we're about to hit a stretch here that's, uh, that's fun, it's energetic, and what it is every week, it's pretty much the same thing. We get into a routine, a practice schedule, so to speak, a game prep, game day, uh, game time type of mode just like a team would, just like players would in, in, in football, and, and we're about to start a stretch that's, that's exhilarating and a lot of fun, no matter what's going on. If Baylor wins, hey, great for them. Good for us because it allows us to have more energy and more people are interested. And, of course, if things don't go well, then you know what? There's more to life than a lot of things that sometimes people take too seriously. Absolutely. And all I know is that uh, you're excited. I'm excited. Football is here. It's just around the corner. And uh, as you know, native Texans, I think we're both uh, pretty thrilled about that prospect. But, uh, Smokey, it's been great having you on the, uh, the show this week, and uh, we appreciate it. Anytime, buddy. You guys do a great job, and thanks for asking me to be a part of it. Closing time. Another great interview with uh, David Smoke joining us for the first time on the Weekly Brew Podcast. And again, he's from ESPN Central Texas. And uh, Jeremy, we hadn't really discussed uh, Baylor on the show since probably we had Mac Rhodes back in March or April. Uh, I thought it was interesting to hear his perspective on how things had changed, not only from when he first joined the station seven years ago, but how things have changed in Waco this offseason compared to what we saw in 2016 with just the uncertainty of, uh, you know, what was surrounding the program. Yeah, I know. And, I, you know, Smoke has kind of been there through it all, um, the, despite the scandal and everything. Like, so he's kind of, he's seen, you know, the chronological order of, like, how this has happened and how it's all panned out leading up to today, which I think is really a favorable situation for Baylor. I do think it is interesting, you know, kind of remarking about the culture, not the culture, but, like, the feel in Waco right now. Yeah. Um, it, it definitely is one of optimism, but I, I think it's measured. You know, I think expectations are fairly low for the team right now when... Well, I think I think the biggest thing is just the, the question mark is, what is the NCAA going to do? Right, right. And that's kind of still hanging over Baylor's head. If I'm going on experience looking at Penn State, looking at some of these other programs that have been through tough times, and especially with the Penn State court decision, I think the NCAA will probably back off. I think that it's just, it's just a lot of safer rattling on their part, but who knows? Because yeah. it wasn't exactly the same circumstance. I mean, this is a supposedly for, you know, it's a Title IX violation as opposed to what, you know, Penn State did, which is, you know, far different. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I would say if the NCAA does anything, it's going to be... Um, it will probably be closer to a slap on the wrist. I don't. I don't think that they're going to give Baylor the death penalty or no, anything, no, no, no. anything crazy but like I, that. I, I, but I, the only reason I say that is because there are people in the media and also, you know, you could say in the uh, on the on the forums of the internet, right, where all college football fans congregate and talk, that people still want Baylor to like really hurt for this. When reality, I mean, we've we've fired literally everybody, everybody, everybody right? right, the from the president all the way down to the football coach. So. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. It seems like there's more of a positive vibe. I think people are supportive of Matt Rule and, and thinking that he is doing things the right way. So we'll see. I mean, Baylor kicks off against Liberty on Saturday, September 2nd. Uh, it's a night game. I'll be there in Waco. Uh, Jeremy, we'll see if you're there uh, in Waco. That's over Labor Day weekend. But uh, it, it should be um, 
just nice to have college football back, which is something that I'm looking forward to. But uh, let's move on to some final topics before we close out the show uh, this week. And uh, one of the big stories that took place in the sports landscape was Los Angeles was named the host for the 2028 Summer Olympics earlier this week. Uh, Jeremy, I'm kind of excited to have the games back here in the United States, the summer games back here in the United States for the first time since 1996. Uh, it seems that L.A. is going to be doing everything on a, on a more budget-friendly approach, uh, unlike you know Brazil, unlike Tokyo, unlike uh, what we've seen in China, Australia, all that stuff. All of the stadiums are essentially built or are planned to be built like I you know they're planning on using the new LA Rams stadium which is under construction right now and so it seems like financially it's going to make a lot more sense Uh, it seems like Los Angeles is embracing these games and to me that's kind of cool because we saw that Boston who was originally named the U.S. candidate for 2024 they there was so much public outcry that they pushed away and said all right nope we don't want this and then LA stepped up L.A. and Paris became the front runners for 2024 and 2028. Uh, Paris seemed to throw a little hissy fit and say that they only had prepared a bid for 2024. And so L.A. said, all right, that's fine. You take 2024. We'll take 2028. It's kind of unprecedented for two games to be awarded at once. I'm curious what your thoughts are. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. I thought, you know, L.A. is getting them in 2028. We know that the games will be in Los Angeles, but will they be in the U.S.? Um, <laughs> you know, suggesting that L.A. will uh, they, they break cal- off. That California will break off. Yeah, it's very possible now. I mean, there's a secession movement there, but it's not serious. No, I, I think it's great for the city. I mean, especially if they're not going to do what a lot of cities do when the Olympics come to town and that's put billions and billions of dollars into projects that they're never going to use. I was reading an article not too long ago about Beijing and all the facilities that went up for the, was it 2008 Summer Olympics? And right. they're all just mothball right now. I mean, they get occasionally used, but they're kind of like... And they're, and they're hosting the Winter Olympics coming up as well. Yeah, but, they're, but, I but mean... that's the thing, like, with the Olympic movement is it seems that those, like, poor countries, or maybe not poor, China's not poor, but... The more economically disadvantaged countries, such as well, you've seen Greece right. hosting in Athens in, what, 2000, 2004, um, Rio de Janeiro, they spend all of this money on facilities, and then you also have corrupt governments spending a lot of money to try to further their propaganda, like China, for example, right. hosting in Beijing for both the winter and summer games. Right. And, and so... I, yeah, exactly. And, and what happens to a lot of these Olympic facilities when the games leave town is that they fall into disrepair. They never get used again. You yeah. know? And yeah. so, like, you know, Brazil is a perfect example. I think that a lot of the facilities, I mean, as to my knowledge right now, they're not being used. And so what the Olympics end up doing is they actually end up having a negative impact long term for some of these cities. Now, for L.A., if they've got everything built, then they can use this as a cash cow because um, they need cash. Yeah. <laughs> You've yeah. been to Los Angeles and but, California. But that, that's something that I've, I've never understood for the longest time. And, of course, uh, the U.S., Mexico, and Canada are making a push to host the, uh, I believe, the 2026 um, uh, World Cup. And that's something that I've never understood is essentially the same thing. All of these other countries have to build stadiums for the World Cup. We have enough stadiums in Texas to host the World Cup that are much, much better from a revenue perspective than anything that you'd see broad. Like I I was in Rio de Janeiro last year for for the Paralympics. I was at Maracanã, which is arguably the nicest stadium in Brazil. And it was a joke compared to anything that we've seen at like Cowboy Stadium, NRG, 
it, it just didn't. We have... could put them up at our high school football stadiums, and well, they would be yeah, nicer. because they yeah, the high school stadiums <laughs> in Texas are you know sixty five, eighty million dollars. Are facilities. obscene. No, they, there was one that was announced that was it's they, we spend seventy to hundred million dollars on high school football stadiums, which I think is crazy for one. But I don't see why the World Cup isn't always in the U.S. with all the venues we have. Yeah, no, 2026, I think it's going to be in the U.S., and I think it's probably going to be a great thing, and it's kind of cool that we have the World Cup and the Olympics coming in, uh, you know, over a two-year time period. But uh, uh, another topic that we saw this week is uh, Steve Bartman. Do you remember that name? Steve Bartman, uh, vaguely. So he's the guy that arguably cost the Cubs a World Series in the early 2000s as he reached over... Uh, and, and, and tried to catch a foul ball uh, that Moises Salute thought that he could have caught. And uh, he was essentially, I guess, the guy that continued the curse for the Chicago Cubs. Well, he was awarded a World Series ring by the Chicago Cubs organization this past week. I, uh, what do you think of that? Um, I mean, maybe I've, maybe we've talked about this before. It's kind of like David Carr having a Super Bowl ring. Um, it's really like disheartening to see. But at least David Carr was on a roster. He was on a I roster. Mean, you're giving a ring to a random fan, right? I, I guess my I don't have as much emotion attached to that particular <laughs> situation with Steve Bartman as I do to David Carr because he played for the Texans and was terrible. Um, yeah, I I I, I think it's. I, let me ask you why. I, I'm not familiar with the story, but why did they give him? Because this guy training? was roasted. I mean, he was threatened in the community. He essentially w- went into isolation. And so the thought was that they gave him a championship ring to kind of heal wounds and to say that, you know, we're not mad at you anymore. Right. So this is like uh, this is like the laces out Dan, like from Ace Ventura. Yeah. You know, like the yeah. Thing, yeah. <laughs> thing, like this is the guy that screwed up their big moment. You know, I think good for him. I, I think, you know, we... There are some people that take sports way too seriously in our, our society. I mean, take it to the level of thinking it's okay to threaten people with death or bodily injury or threatening their families. I think that that's completely out of line. But there's some people who really, like, they live their life. They live and die by this stuff. And I think that that's, it's so dysfunctional and so um, sad when athletes, you know, make a mistake on the court. And they're the ones that have to, you know, they go home and they get rocks thrown through their window or they get, you know, people... Uh, threatening their families. I think that's insane. I yeah. think it's ridiculous. I think it shouldn't happen. Yeah. Steve Bartman, now an owner of the 2016 Chicago Cubs World Series Championship ring. Uh, and speaking of businesses kind of wanting to put a ring on it, uh, Tinder is uh, <laughs> reportedly planning to sponsor Manchester United's new uniforms for $16 million. I mean, are you serious? A dating app? Yeah. I, I think it's funny. I think maybe um, you know Tinder should sponsor one side of the uniform. Swipe and, and, swipe right for Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> yeah, or uh, and maybe Valtrex can sponsor the other side. <laughs> I think that they those those two go together pretty well. Yeah, I, I think that's that's really funny. Um, good for Tinder. I'm glad that they're doing well enough to do that. Uh, that being said, though, I think it's it's just like a little. I don't know. Like, I don't want to see Tinder being advertised. Like, I already feel like it's a negative. It's like a. It's like it's kind of seen as this negative force in with regard to like how young people date, it's kind of like degrading dating into just hookups. Yeah. And now we're going to see it on soccer jerseys, but it's, Man- 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 Manchester United is like the New York Yankees of soccer. Right. I mean, right. They are the club in the English premier league. So I, I, I thought that was kind of funny. All right. Last topic for the week. Uh, Dave bliss. You might remember him. He is the disgraced Baylor head coach that, uh, was there. Basketball in 2000. Coach. Yeah. Basketball, basketball coach. coach yeah. It was there in 2003. Uh, essentially covering up the uh, 
the murder and trying to pin the murder uh, on drug sales so he could do that to cover up his NCAA violations. Well, he was fired at a job last year because of a, a Showtime documentary that came out. Uh, now he's been hired uh, by a Nevada, what, high school? Uh, I mean, come some, on. Some kind of Christian high school in Las Vegas, actually. How, how does this guy have a job still? It's a good, really good question. Um, you know, I, I think, oh gosh, I mean, a guy just has some powerful friends or he can sweet talk his way into places. But I mean, this is the guy that brought Baylor like infamy back in the early 2000s when it didn't need any more negative press because of how terrible the sports were. And the whole Patrick didn't he thing blew up. And after that, it's been like scandal every, <laughs> what, every, every year, every couple of years. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, it's really, it's, it's kind of like ironic that he, this is his second job, I think, post Baylor. If I'm not, yeah, second job, second or no, third no, no, job. No, 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 because I think he coached a few high schools in Texas, I think. Yeah. So it, yeah. It, it's probably like his third, fourth, fifth job, which is insane. I mean, granted, they're all in like the, the youth level. He hadn't coached in the college level again. Right, right. So, come on. He wouldn't I mean, be touched. Well, here, here's here's my question. Could a guy... Now, he's kind of older. He's kind of up there. But if he were younger and he had a lot of talent, you know, could he ever coach at, like, even, like, a, like a D2, D3 school? I mean, that's, that's kind of my question is, like, when you've fallen, off, fallen from grace like that, especially trying to cover up a murder, right, or trying to, like, sweep it under the rug, because um, he didn't do anything. It wasn't... It was. It, it's kind of like Nixon. Like he he didn't do it, but the problem was the cover up, right? I mean, he was yeah. He was the cover up players, is always worse. He was telling time. his players to lie, right? Telling them to not cooperate. And you know, do you really want a guy like that in your organization? Or I guess maybe another question is, can somebody like that show genuine remorse and show yeah. that they've changed? I, I'm not, I'm not sure that he can. Yeah. I, I'm honestly not sure. And um, hopefully this doesn't end in disaster for this Los Angeles or Las Vegas school, but. How does a guy like Dave Bliss get a job before Colin Kaepernick? Who and I'm I'm, I'm well, just going to give you a brief update real quick. Okay. Uh, Jay Cutler was just signed while we were recording this episode by the Miami Dolphins for a one year deal for ten million dollars plus incentives to essentially replace Ryan Tannehill. We've heard Colin Kaepernick's name thrown out all year. He's been tied with multiple teams as a in, in, in a backup position for you know anywhere from the Ravens to the Seahawks. To the Dolphins, how does Dave Bliss have a job before Colin Kaepernick, who you know took the Forty Nine ers to the Super Bowl just a few years ago? Well, I think it's because, as you uh, using your words, Dave Bliss is a could be disaster. Colin Kaepernick is an assured disaster. I think that's one of the reasons that he's not he's not employed yet or signed to a team. What I find funny about Colin Kaepernick is his jersey is still like up there. Like I was looking at, uh, there was a story about how popular his jersey still is, despite the fact that he's not attached to an NFL franchise, and they're still selling Colin Kaepernick jerseys. Like he's like in the top top ten, top fifteen. That's crazy. Yeah, and that nuts. So, I, so I, I don't know. He, well, I mean, that tells me that he's making an impact on people. Sure. To some extent. Sure. Not, not, not the old white guys. No, pro- pro- probably not. I don't know. I, I, I think if, if I'm an NFL team and I'm looking at like his, his numbers on paper, I mean like, all right, so maybe he's like our second or third string, right? And like he could maybe help us in a pinch. But I don't know if I want this guy in the starting job and then with all of this like like external pressure. Yeah, all this yeah. stuff that's kind of attached to him coming in. I just don't know if I want that kind of drama from our organization because somebody, anyone who hires him is going to get blowback, not just from people. So I, I will ask you this, though. We, we've seen NFL teams bring in guys that, you know, have been associated with murder. Sure. DUIs, domestic abusers, drug addicts. Colin Kaepernick is just... 
kneeling for the national anthem, how is that worse than any of those other violations of law? It's not worse. And you know, this is a very, this is, we could talk about this for a long time, but th- it's not worse in the sense that what, what he does, I think it's the, it's the symbolism behind it. And I think it's that, it's that such open, that open display of what a lot of people consider to be unpatriotic and really a political statement when people want to just watch the game. So, so how is, I'm, I'm, this is, I'm legitimately curious about, why is it that this sort of political commentary is frowned upon in the NFL? But it's embraced in the NBA. I don't. Is it embraced in the NBA though? I mean, I think so because we saw uh, what was it two, three years ago at the ESPYS, LeBron James, Chris Paul, Carmelo Anthony, and Dwayne Wade talking about Black Lives Matter and police shootings. Yeah, and, but and essentially they were they were on ESPN making these remarks, or maybe it was ABC, what ESPN affiliate, I guess. Colin Kaepernick, I mean, he's essentially doing the same thing. Well, uh, well, sort of, right? But Colin Kaepernick is do, go, taking every NFL game where he happens to have a job um, and kneeling for the national anthem. He's not doing it once on the ESPYs. He's not, he's not making some kind of like off-the-cuff remark to a reporter that gets spread around a lot. He's doing this. It's in your face every Sunday he plays. And he, my, my issue is that it's not... It's debatable, like... I don't think you can compare. I mean, I, not knowing enough about the situation to obviously speak too much about this, but his activism seems kind of, I think, shallow in a way compared to sort of like a principled statement on something like that. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I mean, unlike the statement that we saw with the NBA, I mean, Kaepernick is actually volunteering his time. He's donating his money. So I, I don't know that it's 100% shallow. I mean, I think he actually. I think initially when, you know, it, it was put out there initially that he did, yeah, when it, when it yeah. was put out there that he didn't vote yeah. in the election, I think he took some blowback and I think he's probably spent a little bit more time in this off season making sure that, you know, he's backing up the message that he's saying. But <laughs> I will say this. One of the funniest things that I've heard and it continues to be one of the funniest things I heard. And I, I think this came out last year. It was if Blaine Gabbert beats you out as a starting quarterback, you don't deserve to stand for the national anthem. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Blaine Gabbert. <laughs> I, I mean, Poor Blaine Gabbert. Oh my gosh. That guy. All right. So I, you know, I, I don't, I don't, here's my question. I guess Kaepernick will be relevant only as much as he is a prospect for the NFL. When he ceases to be a pro football prospect because his talent has diminished or, he is so radioactive that no team will take him. I think that's when he ceases to be relevant because people will only write about him because he's potentially um, a talent that some team could use. Unless he runs for, you know, like local political office, which I think would kind of be funny just because, you know, he didn't vote in this past election, but it is what it is. We'll see if Colin Kaepernick ends up getting signed. I'm sure he probably will get some sort of flyer later in the season when a team that's in contention uh, loses their starting quarterback and they need a backup or something like that. So, I mean, he'll, he'll probably get picked up. I think RG3 will probably get picked up. Uh, I mean, if Jay Cutler can get picked up by the Miami Dolphins, I think that uh, both of those quarterbacks will get picked up as well. But, uh, Jeremy, uh, it, it was definitely fun going one-on-one with you uh, today. I uh, want to remind our listeners that uh, they can check out Hunter Atkins' article uh, in, in the Houston Chronicle uh, talking about the homelessness situation um, in Houston, what the city is doing about it, specifically uh, profile 
profiling a woman that lives outside of Minute Maid Park in a tent. Also want to give a special thanks to David Smoke from ESPN Central Texas for joining us on the podcast today. Really enjoy talking a little bit of Baylor and Cowboys football, uh, specifically Rico Gathers and uh, Ezekiel Elliott. But uh, Jeremy, it was great going one-on-one. I thought we covered a lot of great topics. And if you want to continue to follow our work, just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And also subscribe to our website at weeklybrewcast.com. But uh, Jeremy, four weeks away from football season. I can't wait. I can't wait. Um, I can't wait to be disappointed. I mean, that's really what I'm saying. <laughs> we will definitely make uh, more predictions, more commentary as we get closer to the start of uh, college football and the NFL season. Uh, but on behalf of our uh, guest this week, uh, David Smoke, and on behalf of my co-host and co-founder of the show, Jeremy Paxton, my name is Austin Staten, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew. 